Hello, and welcome to this very special edition of our OmniTalk Spotlight Series, where we, Chris, are bringing interviews with our top 20 OmniStars for 2022. This award was developed in partnership with Corso to recognize the top omnichannel operators based on the headlines and the work that they are driving within their respective organizations. I'm Ann Mazenga. And I'm Chris Walton. And we are pleased to welcome to the show today, Dilip Kumar, the now Vice President of Amazon Web Services and the former VP of Amazon Physical Retail and Technology. Dilip, welcome to Omnitalk. Thanks for joining us today. This is a huge moment for us to have you on the show. Um, we, we're really excited to be honoring you today with this award. Well, thank you for having me. First of all, <clears throat> I've been sort of huge fanboys of what you all have been doing for a very long no time. No way. So, so first of all, uh, you know, the recognition for the top 20 Omni stars, I'm in very good company there. So uh, I feel humbled uh, and I sincerely appreciate it. But more importantly, I mean, you two are doing stellar work, uh, bringing all kinds of things uh, at you know at very easy access and fingertips. So please continue doing what you're doing. Thanks, man. Wow, that that's a hell of an you, endorsement right out yes. of the get go. And thank I can't you, thank you so much, Dylan. You've that been means... keeping us busy too. Yes, I you have, have to say, like yes. uh, we uh, we have a pretty much weekly slot in the Fast Five these days. It feels like yeah. for all of the things that you've been up to the past few years. Yeah, so. and I think as you know, I'm probably the biggest like just walk out technology fan out there. I'm I'm probably like a fanboy myself of you. Right back at you, but uh, but yeah, man, we're we're excited to get to it. Let's uh. I can't wait to talk to you and, and get 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 the inside scoop on everything that you've been doing over the last year and how you think about this omni-channel question too, which is why we developed the award that we did to recognize the true omni-channel operators out there in the marketplace versus those people that are just maybe you know talking about it, yep. so to speak. 100%. Um, but before we get started, we want to give a special shout out to our partners at Corso, without whose support OmniStars would not have been possible. Yes. Corso is a tool your field leaders will actually thank you for. It turns all the reports into personalized top priorities, then helps them take the right actions to boost performance. Learn how leaders at over 25,000 U.S. stores are saving time and driving impact at Corso.com. All right, Dilip, let's let's get the background. Yes, got to get you back. Who is Dilip Kumar? Give us the, tell us about the origin story um, and and really, but just your background and, and career. We, we'd love to hear a little bit more about you first before we dig into all the reasons that, uh, that we wanted to give you this award. Uh, well, I've been at Amazon for just a little over 19, 19 wow. years and change. Uh, you know, the Amazon is, as you know, in 2000, I joined in July, 2003. It was a very different company. Uh, back then, there was no web services, no digital, no right. fulfillment by Amazon, no advertising. It was like it was a very, very different company. And I've seen, I've been, you know, fortunate to see the evolution of what this company has been from when I started to where it is. Uh, right now, I am a <clears throat> the VP in AWS Applications organization. It's a new organization that's created in AWS. I moved with several of my prior teams uh, that I was working with in physical retail, which. You know, just walk out uh, the Amazon Dash Cart, Amazon One, and a bunch of other services that we had built for our first party stores that we're now slowly but surely also offering to a lot of third parties and getting a lot of traction. So the AWS applications move was to be able to say that, well, you know, while AWS is known traditionally for a lot of infrastructure services, there's a bunch of things that we're also doing very higher up in the stack, like the ones that we just mentioned, like you know, just walk out Amazon yeah. One where you know, it's turnkey solutions that we're offering to retailers, but also there's many other 
parts of AWS applications like like Amazon Connect, which is our call center in the cloud, or our productivity applications, which allows people to be able to get a desktop, or productivity applications directly managed through AWS services, and a bunch of other things that we're working on. So it's a super exciting stage for us um, in AWS, as well as the evolution of all the things that we worked on to see you know, where we can make this for third parties. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, so it's like, it's like, like I surmised without having talked to you, like, so what we saw the announcement about, you know, using the Just Walk Out platform to inform CBGs of how their products are selling in say an Amazon Fresh store. That's kind of the idea here is to help build out those solutions and have you spearhead the further use of the technology in new ways. Is that right? Yeah. And so one of the things that we noticed, like we started off with uh, retail, we started off with our first party stores, but as you've seen, most of our a lot of our third-party stuff has gone well beyond retail. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you look at Amazon One, you look at Just Walk Out, mm-hmm. the diversity of where it is being applied to, like stadiums or convention centers or places in the airport, extend far beyond just street-front retail. And yeah, street-front right. retail is all going to be super important. It, it's going to be a very core vertical, but there's many other verticals where there's applicability. And I think in all of these, the common point is, are people time-pressed? Do they... Uh, do they crave convenience in places they've been. And in all of these areas, you know, there's a massive amount of throughput that these stores get in a very short period of time. Uh, people don't want to miss out on wherever, whatever the activity that they're doing. You don't want to miss out on any action in a ball game or especially yeah. at the airport. And so in all of these things, right. the common theme of providing convenience rings true. Uh, and I, I love the fact that there is, you know, much broader applicability beyond just what we originally started with which is, you know, our first party stores and convenience and then now in grocery. Right, right, right. Yeah. And we just, and to that point, we were just in the Chicago Midwest yes. store like two weeks ago. We put a video out of that experience, walking in, walking in buying a bottle of water in like 20 seconds. Yeah. It was like the cleanest thing ever. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's get, let's get to, let's get to the nuts and bolts of this. Like, you know, just walk out technology. I think we have to talk about it. You know, of all the things that, you know, we've noticed in the past, you know, few years, it's, it's, Quite frankly, I already called it on Forbes, the most significant innovation in retail of the next 30 years already. And I really believe that. So talk to us about, tell the audience, give them a real sense. And I know you've done this before, but I think it's important to do it again. Give them a sense of all that that entails. Like, how did it start? Where is it now? Um, And what can you tell us as much as you can about where it's going next? Yeah. So, you know, our, when we started circa, I want to say Jan 2013, there was this wow, hypothesis that long ago. That, yeah, I mean, it was. It, was okay. it, it took a while to be able to build it. There's, as you know, we, we started off with this hypothesis that uh, physical retail is very well served. This was in conjunction with our physical retail approach, and it's like you know, we wanted to do something in physical retail right yeah. around that time. There was uh, there was a strong belief that our brand would translate to it that there was actually value there. But the idea was that physical retail is very well served. As you know, there's a lot of choices, a lot of options, a lot of formats for customers. And so the last thing that we wanted to do was to come up with another Me Too offering mm-hmm. uh, because that wasn't really going to be useful for the customer. It wasn't really yeah. going to be useful that we can offer in any differentiated way. So that was the genesis of it. But then we started thinking about, well, what, what makes sense? Amazon is sort of built on this principle of you know, price selection and convenience. When you go to from an online world to a physical world, you're effectively reducing your selection to a certain degree. You, know, mm-hmm. you go from an unconstrained selection to a slightly more constrained selection, depending on the size and the format of the store. Um, <clears throat> price is still relevant, 
you know, just because you're in an offline environment and your cost structure might be different than an online or vice versa. Your customers don't want to pay more for your cost structure. So like price is extremely relevant, both whether it's mm. online or offline. Yeah. The thing that we kept coming back to is what is our core value proposition for convenience? Um, and the thing that we kept coming back to again and again from our own experiences as customers is that people didn't like waiting in lines. It, it was not a very productive use of their time. Um, but you also looked at it to say that when you think about price, uh, you think about you know low price and why is low price is important because five years from now, it's unlikely that any of us would want to pay more for something than less. So like low prices is a very durable tenant that you could build something off of. Mm-hmm. Very similar to that for convenience, waiting in lines like five years from now, 10 minutes from now, like two years from now, you're not more likely to want to wait in line than you are today. So we felt that that was sort of going to be the core of what we wanted to do. And then we sort of worked back from, well, if you don't want to wait in line, what are some of the ways that we can improve that experience? And one way of improve that experience is to say that if we didn't have people wait in the most, the, the most non-productive use of their time is just waiting in line to pay. Uh, and there have been many things that have happened so far. You know, there have been innovations to be able to improve the speed of those transactions by 20 minutes or, or like 20 seconds or like five, five seconds. And all of those have been important, but nothing ever went to this bar to say, what if it didn't exist? Right. Hmm. What if you could sort of move off of that? Because a 10% improvement or a 20% improvement in what people have been traditionally doing and waiting in line and point of sales and other would have been okay, but it's not. It's not a game changer in any shape or form. It is not highly differentiated. So that was the genesis of it. And then sort of started the work back. That's really really interesting. I want to hear that too, but I just want to key in on something that you said, because I think it's really important for the audience to hear. So what you're saying, because I didn't know this, what you're saying is the idea was rooted in kind of the typical Amazon flywheel of selection, price, and convenience. You know, selection is going to be a challenge in the physical world. So you're going to have to nail price. You're going to have to keep that consistent and you're really going to lever up the convenience side of that in this play. And that's how it originated. Is that, is that, is that? Yeah, a- it, it was our spin on what constitutes convenience Okay. in the, in the physical world. If you think about your physical shopping experiences, tons of things have changed, right? It's not as if that that world is static by any means, like for people who are sort of in the know, you know, formats grow and increase, they change, they come in and out of place. So it's not as if the formats are always, uh, you know, they're persistent throughout history. Uh, the size of stores change, the selection in them comes, constantly changes, you know, the point of sale innovation, self-checkout has happened. There's a bunch of things that have happened, but by and large, the entire shopping experience has always remained the same. You come in, you walk around, yes, you, it's like 1916. Item, you, yeah, wait right? in line, you pay, you leave, right? The, the, some things have been always been held as things that are inviolable or they cannot be changed. And so we mm-hmm. started off with, well, if we wanted to do something for convenience, and this isn't convenience where only a small select group of people would be subject to that. So there's a lot of work that happened in ML and AI where they're like, oh, you know, the small section of the store is highly ML powered. So you can know exactly where your, you know, your, the, the origin story of where the Apple came from and the amount of it. Yeah. But the very valuable, very valuable. experience is untouched. But if you really want to believe in convenience, if you really want to impact as many people who are shopping in the store with this, you have to build something that is foundational to the entire experience. Well, that's, that's what this was. That's a really important thing too, Dilip, that I think is a reason why, Chris, we we chose Dilip as one of the, the omni-channel 
like Omni stars, because I feel like it's just how you approach when you started telling us about how you created the just walk out technology. It was like, we can't just go into retail the way that every other person, right. does. we can't just make an Amazon store. Mm-hmm. We have to be solving a problem. We have to be changing the way that we're approaching things. And that is so vital. I think to how retailers listening to this, this podcast need to be thinking about things. You can't just go in, you have to figure out what the problem is that you can uniquely solve as a company, especially for disruptive innovation. Yeah. And so, so dope. Okay. So that's the origin story. So then, so then talk about the middle and then the next too. I want to hear that as well. Well, you know, the, the middle and the next is, is, is not, this is where, you know, step one is the origin story. Step three is sort of, you know, everything is out there within step <laughs> right, two. Right, right, right. It's kind of never ending right. story, right? Step two, yeah, like, right. You, you know, you live and die in step two. Um, and step right. two was all about for us to be able to try to figure out, you know, how to make this work. And we had we had many hypotheses on like there's many different ways to be able to try to do this. Or you could give everybody a phone and, you know, they could just scan the item. And this mm-hmm. is how like there's a lot of scan and go and other kinds of approaches that are very similar to that. It's very simple. It's very easy. But then you start thinking about these things as, you know, there's parents and with kids shopping in there, they don't really have phones, they go in different directions. And so suddenly like ideas that seemed reasonable at first blush sort of tend to fall. And so we we went through many different paths, but we sort of distilled it to a very simple thing to say that, you know, we have to be able to figure out who took what. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, if you can figure out who took what and you can mm-hmm. do it across all the people who are shopping in the store, you'd be able to send them a receipt you know, and they leave. So the idea of who took what, then you know, the, the question is that what, what foundational elements can you use to be able to do that? So you, you need to yeah. know. Uh, computer vision at that time, machine learning at that time was sort of, we've been like Amazon's been using machine learning for a very long time, even before it was in vogue, you know, personalization and a, and a variety. Before it was an acronym. You need a t-shirt. <laughs> you need a t-shirt that says I was using ML before it was cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then it, there, there were core sets of initiatives going across in Amazon. You know, we had a whole effort going on on voice, which resulted in what Alexa is and, you know, many years later. But then there was also the idea was that computer vision was going to be a very foundational and a core technology for us to build on because we we believe that computational capacity is going to drastically increase. The algorithms are going to get a lot more sophisticated. So even though it didn't quite exist, there was this the, the, a strong hypothesis, just proven true, that the the ability for the technologies to be able to do the kinds of things that we wanted to do are going to happen. It didn't really exist. So we had to push the boundaries or what needed to exist. Like, remember, like, we're trying to build a transactional level system here. Um, if you look at the if you look at the auto pipeline, you look at the auto pipeline of most companies, there's a lot of ML that happens before figuring out what to offer customers. There's a lot right. of ML that happens post-processing. But in the core order pipeline, that's just straight. It's just transactions. There's not a right. lot of ML. You're not, that's interesting. No, there's, no, there's no guessing. The customers are clicking what they want to add to their cart. Here, you have to infer what they're adding to their cart by building algorithms. So it's a very, it's a, it's you know, several orders of magnitude more com- complex than a traditional ordering system. Even simple things that you sort of get the benefit for in, um, in, in, in even in, even at Amazon, from the time that you place an order to when the item ships, there's some amount of time. But in a, in a physical store environment, all of that needs to happen very synchronously. 
Like you need to know exactly, you need to know exactly about their payment instrument. You need to know whether their credit card is going to work. You need to know all of that stuff. All of those things that you have oodles of time in traditional shopping gets constrained and you have to do it in almost near real time. Um, So there's tons of complexity, not just on the ML and CV side, but also on the orchestration and infrastructure side. Like your your algorithms don't really get a chance if you don't have the right sensors. Your sensors don't really give a chance if you don't have control over the network. So we have to build all of that. Right. Yeah. Well, Dilp, you're you're giving us some examples, but I I really like to go in even deeper and and get a sense of what you've learned. Uh, like since when we're talking about bringing innovation to the market, like what have you learned, especially about physical store innovation versus digital only innovation and, and, and the kind of elements that need to be in the right spots for that to work successfully? Yeah. I, it's, it, it's, it's a super interesting question. And yeah. we, when, if you think about yourself as customers, okay. you don't think about physical versus digital. You just think about, I'm here for a purpose. Yes. Can I solve my purpose without me fighting through whatever technology that somebody has decided to throw in my way in order for me to accomplish my task? If you're there, if you're there to get a sandwich and a drink, you want to get a sandwich and a drink and you want to yes. be gone as early as you want to take your time and you want to linger and you want to get a lot of information, you should be feel free to be able to do that. So I, I think the, the thing that clicked for us was that customers don't think about you know, physical environments and digital environments. They just think about missions that they're on and they think about convenience and, and, and a good asset test for that is that did they like, was it seamless enough for them? Was it simple enough for them that it didn't require uh, them to sort of learn a, a new way to be able to shop, even if it was a new way to shop mm-hmm. and then can they, are, and they would, are they, are they eager to try it again? Which mm-hmm. uh, are all sort of signs of uh, something that you have uh, a winner on your hands. Uh, and you have to do that time and time and time again uh, because you don't take this for granted because customers have choices. You know, there's mm-hmm. plenty of options. So you step out of your office, there's plenty of choices for where you can go and eat. Uh, so you have to provide, you know, like this is why there's there's a lo- considerable amount of, you know, the, the reason I love working with you know, other retailers as well as for third parties is they've perfected the art of knowing you know, from a selection and a merchandising standpoint of what's right. selling and what isn't selling. And there's still improvements there, but they, they have done all of that. So the value that we're providing to them is that like, we know that when customers will come into your stores, that they will find what they're looking for and that their trip mission is not going to be, uh, you know, a disappointment. So the value that we can add is that how do we make that even more convenient? Um, so I think physical, like physical retailers had to get, you know, digital digitally very savvy, not just because of the pandemic, but the pandemic exacerbated a lot of these things, but it also worked the other way is to say that like, what are some of the things that we need to do that brings a lot of that digital innovation in physical environments without making people think that they have to, uh, like the less you and I have to think about what it is that we are doing, you almost operate, like you don't think about the route you specifically took to go home. Absolutely. But you go home every day because yes. you, you just go on autopilot. It's it's where we want people to be doing, to be immersed in what they're shopping for versus worrying about anything else. And I think that's a hard thing. It's a very hard balance to achieve. It is. And so I, I, it is. I love, the, I love that we're going down this road too, because I, I want to ask you, because I, I, you know, the, I didn't get a chance to talk to you today. Um, it makes me think too, like one of the things that Anna and I have talked about on our podcast and and struggled with understanding. And we're going to geek out here intentionally for the audience, but 
you know, is the app scan to enter the store, you know, uh, to that, to that point that you were making. And, and honestly, we don't know which way we come down on it yet. And so, you know, I'm curious as, especially as you're working with third parties, you're doing the experimentation on your own. There's hybrid approaches. There's the crying, the app scan, there's the palm scan, there's the credit card scan. Like, how did you, how did you, and are you continuing to sort through that in terms of finding that, you know, right answer? And, you know, the other question I have is ultimately, does it matter too? Because I feel like once you use it, you said the repeat behavior, once you use it, it's pretty damn easy to understand it. And I think people probably do it again, over and over again. At least Without that's my doubt. hunch, Yeah. but a lot there. I know I just said it. I was kind of speaking off the top of my head, but a lot of thoughts in my head, but I'm curious, you know, how would you, how do how would you think about what I'm asking? Yeah. Um, when we first started with our first party stores, uh, we were in, like, we had the benefit of being in locations in corporate environments and very right. close to a lot of places, you know, like our first store was in the, in the, on, on the first floor of uh, one of our office buildings. Yeah. Right. In Seattle. Yeah. Everybody around at the Amazon app, yeah. um, but we had a separate go app as well. And we were in beta for a while. And so our first foray into this is to say that, well, you know, people know how to use, people know how to use an app. There is a lo- reasonably large install base for this. So we should be able to put this in the app because we were trying to do specific things like you know, give receipts in the app. There's a bunch of other things that we were trying to right. put in the app. So we said, you know, the app is a perfect vehicle to be able to deliver this. Uh, and it, it, it didn't take long. People still took a little bit of time to be able to figure out where you still have to download the app. You have to get it ready. You have to, you have, to have that. You have to have your, you know, your credit card set up with it. So there is that initial hurdle. When we went to third parties, you realize that you're in environments where we're in retailers where they did some of them had their own app. Some right. of them didn't. Some don't. It yeah. Just, right. Like it's, you know, so when you, when you go to, you know, when you, when, when you went to a, a store in the airport, it wasn't as if that there was a, a in, in a retailer specific app there. No, there so wasn't. the most natural thing that sort of occurred to us is this is where we had, you know, credit card be the form of entry for third okay. party locations. Uh, even before Amazon one, like we had credit card there. In fact, credit right. card was sort of offered as a way of entry for all third parties, even before it was in our first party stores, largely because our first party stores originally, we had said that, you know, based on where we were, there was a huge app install base. Um, and so now we see that there's a combination of you know, people who use the app, people who use a credit card. And then when Amazon one came, we uh, we said that, well, you're using, you're using this, why not you use Amazon one instead? And it turns out that once once people use Amazon one, you know, more than 90% of them don't go back. Oh yeah, no for way. sure. Yeah. That's good to know though. I didn't know that for sure. And it, it wasn't a number that we started with. It wasn't a number that we were even sort of like, it was just an interesting data point for us is that once people use it, they realize how convenient it is. Uh, and then they, they don't switch to, even though they have a credit card on them, even though they have the app on them, they just find this a lot more convenient. So I think our approach with that is to offer people enough choices in depending on how they want to shop and where they want to shop. Um, and with things like Amazon, one, once you've sort of signed up for it in a particular, it just works in other locations. So you just don't have to do that sign up for a retailer or any of those other kinds of things. So we just take care of all of that, uh, you know, behind the scenes. Got it. So I'm curious. So, so I want to ask you again, I want to ask the question a different way that, that Anne asked too, which is like, are there any less, because you've been doing, you've been at Amazon for a long time. You've been on the, you've done things, you've done innovation that's purely digital focus. You're now doing innovation that's purely physical focus. Are there lessons that you would learn or tell other people to help them navigate 
that climate? Or is that question a question? And I want you to be honest with me. Or is that question a question that sounds smart, but really is kind of dumb if you get down to the core of what innovation is all about? No, I, I don't think it's a dumb question at all. Um, and in fact, I could, like, I'm, I'm not even sure that the answers that I'm going to give you are, uh, they are what worked for us. The, the applicability of it for working for other people, <clears throat> I don't know. But right. in, in no particular order, I think one of the things that we have always seen uh, when, it, when it comes to any innovation in general is that you do require sufficient diversity of thought among the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think teams get incredibly homogenous in terms yeah. of either the groups of people. So I'll give you specific examples of this. Mm-hmm. So one is we had, when we were trying to build this in a, uh, for physical stores, and we were trying to sort of put this technology in physical stores, we paired people. There were people who came from, you know, construction and design backgrounds who had a lot of, lot of tons of background in building physical retail. And then we had a bunch of people at Amazon who had tons of background in, you know, machine learning and in software engineering and hardware engineering and a variety of other disciplines. But it's remarkable how each side had virtually no appreciation or understanding of the other side's sets of problems. Right. Like right. You, you, would, you would have, you'd have engineers come in and they'd be like, well, if that wall wasn't, if that sort right. of wasn't there, I can actually <laughs> see the product. And then the construction person would be like, that's a load bearing thing. If you that yeah. there. We <laughs> could just move the right. H back. This would all work, right? Well, yeah. that pillar like six inches to the right. And they're like, no, it's just, so I think pairing I'm, people with awesome. very diverse experiences resulted in a much better product overall because so much of the initial part of innovation is like understanding like different perspectives and understanding uh, what you know, what you don't know and asking a bunch of questions that gets us to that. So I, it's, yeah. it's, it's, as I said, it's not, a, it's not a dumb question at all. We went through many iterations of this uh, and it's, you know, we've lived it. Yeah, mm-hmm. Dilp, you're giving us flashbacks from our store. Of the yeah, you are days actually. Because yeah. that, it was so, I mean, it, it was so similar to the things mm-hmm. that we encountered there, which was also a good opportunity to, as well for people who don't get to talk about, I mean, somebody on the properties team doesn't get to talk about innovation or thinking about cool new technologies or ways to shop. And so it does kind of bring ideas from so many perspectives that can, can, I mean, I can't think of how many things came up that we were like, oh yeah, that would be a great idea, but they just never had the format to share those kinds of opinions because well, yeah. they're in their track. Well, and that's why, I mean, that's why Dope was a clear Omnistar because I think that's the important point here is th- this is such an interdisciplinary effort. I love the point Dilip brought up. Without it's, a doubt. And if you think about it, I mean, you started in 2013, your first true store you built in 2000, I think it was 18, right? January of 2018. 2017 was when we launched in beta, like 2016. Beta, right? yeah. was when we launched in beta. 2018, Jan was when the first ghost store opened. Yeah. Yeah. To public. Right. And so like public, you're like four years, like you've been doing this for four years. Like that's, that's early. Mm-hmm. Like that's not that much time yet. And so, you know, that's why I think you've got to it's incredible to think about where this can still go in my mind. I, I don't know what you think about that. Two of those years were a pandemic too. So it's kind of interesting. Right. Like, so like there's like, you know, it's like four years, but two had this little small thing known as the pandemic in the midst of it as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So is there, is there a big surprise? What's the biggest surprise that you've had? A, and it could be about anything about 
learning something about the way customers shopped, uh, you know, a challenge that you didn't expect engineering wise that you had to solve. Like, what was the biggest surprise you encountered over the last four, that period of time, last four years of trying to get this in market? So I'll, I'll give you an example from uh, Amazon One. Because uh, so, we've been talking about just walk out for a while. There's plenty of surprises and like just walk out for, and we've talked about some of those. Amazon One, you know, are, are the, the, the early sort of the origin story of Amazon One is that we, when people said that, you know, we were, we were trying to figure out ways and means that we had just walk out stores opening. Uh, we knew that there's going to be a bunch of stores that are either going to have point of sale, but we we're still finding plenty of places where people were standing in line or there were things where it was just wasn't the, the, the interaction wasn't seamless enough. And they were not necessarily candidates for just, you know, just walk out stores. <clears throat> there were many other venues where that may or may not be possible, like entry into a stadium or yeah. paying like, you know, where there's a point of sale for like concessions. There's a variety yeah. of other places where just walk out's not the answer necessarily, but you know, Amazon. So, and we were thinking about a way mm. that we could do, and the and the idea was that uh, if you think about, there's there's a lot of things that we do on a regular basis, on a daily basis. All of us sort of show our identity in some way or the other. Like we have to sort of prove who you are uh, in many things. Like you want to enter a garage, or you want to enter a stadium, or you want to you know mm-hmm. pay for something. In some shape or form, you're sort of like doing this am I Chris and here's how I'm going to pay for it. And like, yes. am I Chris and do I have a ticket to be able to enter this destination? And in all of these cases, we were thinking that there's, there is no common solution that exists out there. There's nothing that says that, you know, like it's it, sometimes tickets are digital. Sometimes they are paper printed. Sometimes mm-hmm. they are, you know, sometimes like you, you have to, you have few other forms of ID and like queues mm-hmm. build up. And so the idea behind Amazon one was that like, can we build like something that mm. always started with the genesis of like, what is it that you always have on your person that would yeah. allow you to be able to identify yourself and also complete these transactions? That was the that was the question we posed ourselves. And believe it or not, at that time, you know, there was a lot of work that was happening on the voice side um, in Amazon. There was a lot of stuff that was happening on, you know, like like the first thing that when people think about biometric, they think about face, facial recognition. They think yes. about these kinds of things. And right. The the early the early indicators said that oh yeah maybe maybe you should use a combination of uh, face and voice um, to be able to to identify um, someone and to be able to pay and on and on first blush it actually sounds like a good idea <clears throat> but the more we sort of dove into the specifics and the details of it the more we realized that that's not really where we want to go. It was a strong hypothesis that we should probably do that because you know we had a lot of credibility on the voice side within Amazon. There was plenty of you know research and uh, the technology was at a point where you know facial recognition and other kinds of things would have been very good candidates for something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we sort of asked ourselves a few sets of questions to say that well, what are we trying to do? Like, what should be? And you know, in Amazon, one of the things that we do is that if we're ever confused about things like this, we write down tenets to to indicate what should our guiding principles be for something that we're doing. Like, it could be design tenants, it could be dis- you know, business tenants, whatever. Um, in this case, what we said is, well, first of all, we wanted this to be. Uh, we wanted we whatever the biometric that we choose to use, we we wanted it to be contactless. <clears throat> and not just because of COVID, this was even pre-COVID, because this wasn't a public device. This is going to be a public device. You know, we didn't want anybody touching the device or whatever. And there's many biometrics, honestly, that merit 
contactless stuff. Like fingerprint is not really contactless, but you know, right. arm is faces, voices, they're, they're contactless biometrics. Right. The second thing that we wanted it to do is that, you know, we are a, a core tenet for that is we started off with the fact that it needed to be private. Now, it's not just because it's biometrics. Mm. Like, what do you mean by private? Like, it, mm-hmm. well, there's, it, what, what private, what I meant is just looking at the biometric or hearing the biometric does not give you any clue as to the visual identity or the identity or the physical identity of the person. So mm-hmm. looking at an image, looking at a picture actually does give you an identity. Even hearing voices gives you a reasonable identity as to the person. Like you can sort of narrow it down. Uh, so face and voice in that dimension are not as private as yeah, palm. Like so- looking at a picture of your palm doesn't necessarily give you any indication as to you know the visual ident or the physical identity of the person. Right. The third thing that we needed it to do is that we wanted it to be very it needed to be an active biometric. Mm-hmm. And we wanted the user to always be in control. But by that, what I mean is the mere fact of you entering the room or saying something shouldn't trigger. This is why when you sort of look at a lot of these uh, mm. early versions of this, you had to look into the camera and you had to smile or you had to do a thumbs up or you had to do some other gesture because just looking at the camera doesn't indicate intentionality. Yeah. Like you can't infer oh, right. intent to pay just because the camera. And by the way, when, when there's six people standing in line, the camera is actually looking at four faces. Right. So yes. it's not just looking at the person in front. It's actually also looking at people behind you like that you can sort of see. So we wanted the the customer to always be in control and decide when and where. So it's like to your earlier question about like entry and other kinds of things is that we wanted them to take a physical gesture and hover their palm over this device, but only choose to do so when they want to. Tomorrow, if you decided that I just wanted to pay my credit card, sure. I mean, there should be multiple options available. It should never be triggered automatically. It should be triggered only when you are deciding to be identified or you decide to pay. And then, so, so that was another reason that led us in this. And then the last one, which is always super important with any of this when you're doing identity or payment is it needed to be accurate. Like what's mm-hmm. the point of a biometric? What's the point of an identity <laughs> or payment thing that's just not gonna be accurate? Right. So you, you look at face recognition, other kinds of stuff, you know, twins have very similar faces. They're like yep. hard to identify. Palm doesn't have that. So this is why we went not just with palm, but also the vein structure underneath. So combining palm the vein, the vein wow. that made it you know, way more accurate than anything that existed. So like our original hypotheses for these things, if you sort of think about, would have led us down a very different path um, down to say that like, well, we have expertise in the house for doing this, but it actually made our problem a lot more challenging. Like there's not a lot of data for Palm. There's not a lot of, you know, research on Palm and to be able to do that. But it, it seemed like it was the right customer experience it seemed like if we could do this to the level of fidelity and the accuracy that we needed, it would adhere to all the design tenets that we had. Um, and we were, we were pleasantly surprised by the, you know, how well and how easy it is to sign up and for people to use it. Because remember, they're signing up with this. There's not a lot of help. There's not a lot of guidance. You just need to be able to sort of, it needs to be simple and intuitive and other people can grok it. Um, and so if, if I look at the things that, I myself might have had a bias for something that we may have chosen something else just based on our own, you know, the, 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 the assets that we had and the, the amount of research that we had in some of the other areas, but we chose a very different path, which in retrospect now, given that we did all of this proved to be way more uh, useful and, and relevant.
Wow. Well, yeah. Well, got to see how the sausage made it was made there. That, I know. That such, I'm so glad we asked that question. Well, yes, very glad. Um, Dilip, I I think that Chris and I could sit here for like uh, 25 hours with you and just ask question after question. I, yeah, I literally could actually. But I think I think that what the the recurring thing that I'm hearing from you though is one of the reasons why you your team are so brilliant at what you do is that. It, you you are never settling for this is the option to go with. You're you're coming up with the tenants that you talked about. You're challenging your your hypotheses, even when they're good hypotheses. Like that's what you said when you said that about you know facial recognition and voice. Like that was a that was a good solution at the time with the technology that was available. But you keep pushing the boundaries. You're not settling. Um, and I want to I want to take this time um, in our session to. Uh, open this up to what we're calling our pay it forward section. I want to know who on the team is part of those decisions of those constant, you know, challenging of assumptions. Who do you want to single out today? Who's been particularly instrumental in your, in your work, those people on the ground who you love to share this recognition, this Omnistar award with. Uh, It will be hard for me to single out a, a single person. Uh, yeah. but generally speaking, I think uh, one of the one of the things I take for granted sometimes, having been at Amazon for so long, is how much Amazon's process of invention and our approach towards it conditions you that helps you along the way. You know, there's a lot of companies that want to do invention, they want to do innovation, they sort of, but they don't really have the patience for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they don't. They don't have the, the single-threaded focus on it. Like, I didn't really have any other responsibility. This was my only responsibility. It was like, go make this happen. Okay. So it wasn't as if they had saddled me with like eight other different things and then said that, oh, by the way, this ninth thing, if you sort of get a little bit of time for it, right. go yeah. try to figure out as to what you can do with it. And, and yeah. the problem is that we take, like one of the things that I find Amazon to do consistently well, despite having sort of been, you know, from you know, 2003 till now is... If they are, if they if they feel that this is a problem worth solving, if they feel that this is a you know big enough market segment size, if they feel that you can offer a differentiated way that customers will appreciate, then they give people single-threaded focus on the runway to do it. And I and like you know starting with Jeff and you know, Andy now, and almost every leader that I worked with, it, it is it is part and parcel of the DNA to be able to do that. So I feel like I I feel like I am already you know, four or five points to 10 in being part of an environment which sort of creates that, mm. uh, the, the entire environment necessary for a level of innovation to come up. And then, the, and then the idea that we sort of do with our teams is that they, you know, eight out of 10 of these ideas that we come up with are not going to work. And the ninth one is, you know, going to be sort of working. And then the 10th one is we're slightly happier with it. And then you have to invent 11th and a 12th one. So one of the things that I always tell teams is that if you're, you're in a worse position, if your idea start, like don't be idea start because it's unclear which one of these is going to get to the finish line. And so for us to be idea start is a much, much terrible problem to have than to be like, what are some of the ways that we can actually know whether these things are things that we want to double down on or we want to stop? This, yeah. Almost any idea that you see now, there have been about 10x the number that have been stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, and stop, we don't penalize people because their idea got stopped. 
because it could be for a wide variety of reasons that have really that they don't really have any control over. So you have to also set up the incentive mechanisms that people don't only are conservative enough to only bet on the winners because you don't know what those are. Right. You need you need to create that culture that some amount of failure in these ideas is okay. It's tolerated. Mm-hmm. And I love that about Amazon. Yeah, I'm going to start borrowing that too. I'm just, I think I'm going to call it get ideas on the board, mm-hmm. you know, because you're right. I mean, I think back to my time in corporate America too. There, there were a lot of times ideas didn't go on the board. We were just going down one path. and Or they were killed right away yeah. because of one thing or another. You right, know? you wouldn't even get started. But yeah, get ideas on the board and then refine from there. It's a, it's a really good thing to think about. Yeah. I think I think we try to do that with Omnitype. Mm-hmm. We're always trying to go, hey, what kind of content can we do next? Like, I mean, it's true in any business. So, all right, man. Well, that was great. Like Ann said... <laughs> I honestly, I'm actually kind of sad this interview's over, but uh, I really am. But uh, but it, it, that wraps us up. Dilip Kumar from Amazon, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for being, and we want to recognize you again as one of our top 20 Omni stars for 2022. Um, really appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much for the for the opportunity. I love your work, as I said. Keep it up. Thank you, man. Thanks, thank you. Up. And to everyone listening, as always, thanks for tuning in and be careful out there. 